But um, I'm here this morning because my spirit is vexed. My spirit is vexed because I'm seeing, and I know you too are seeing in the church, what we see on the outside. There's just as much sickness in the church as you see outside the church. There's just as much lack as you see in the church as you see outside the church. There's so much destruction. There's so much... Satan is taking so much from us believers that at a point you're beginning to wonder, does this work? Does the, God of, uh, the, the Word of God, does it really work? And you're beginning to say, who are really those Christians? Let the real Christians stand up. Because it's the power, the Bible says, it's the power that they see in us that's going to attract them. You cannot, cannot tell somebody, come to the God that I serve and be a believer when you have more illnesses, more sicknesses, more depression, more anxiety, more lack in your life than they have. There's nothing that's going to attract them to the gospel that you have. So my spirit is vexed. And we know that in John 10.10, 10, the Bible says the thief, which is Satan, he's the one that comes to steal from you to destroy and to kill. That's his job. So let's not misunderstand what's going on here. This is not God doing this. This is Satan, the enemy of our souls, coming in to take from us, to steal from us, to destroy things in our life, and to kill some people spiritually and even physically. We need to be aware of that. Now, the prophecy came forth for 2012, and I wrote it down. Let me read it for you. The word of the Lord has come forth for the year 2012. And it says it will be a year of restoration and a year of order. He says 2011 was a hard, hard year. It was a year of disarray, confusion, and disorder. It was a year my people were plundered, but recovery time has come. Restoration and order has come to my people. There will be a restoration in your home, in your marriage, in your job and in your business, in your pocketbook. Children will be restored to fathers and mothers. Mothers and fathers will be restored unto their children. There will be newness and refreshing and unspeakable joy. God says, I have done my part. It's available to you now. You don't even have to wait for 2012. There is a total recovery for my people. However, they must return to their first love. He says, return to me. Build up all the altars that have been broken down. Repair the foundations that have cracks and shifting in it. Do your part so you can hold, maintain, and recover all the enemy has taken from you. You can recover all. You can recover all. Are you ready to get yours back? Are you ready to take what belongs to you? Why is the devil stealing from Christians? Why do you think 
The devil is uh, stealing from Christians. However, the title of my message is Biblical Prescriptions for Total Recovery. Biblical Prescriptions for Total Recovery. When you're sick and you go to the doctor, he gives you a prescription. He tells you this pill, you take it three times a day. And if you take it for one week, you're going to be fine. If you take this other one once a day for one month, you're going to be fine. And we do it. The same way with the Bible. There are things in the Bible that if we do and we follow, we are guaranteed. God guarantees his word. He said, my word will never return to me void. Everything the word says will be accomplished if we take the responsibility. Amen? So why is this devil stealing from all of us, from so many of us? Matthew 13, 24 to 28 says, Another parable, Jesus speaking now, he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, I'll read that again. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And the enemy did that and went his way. But when the grain has sprouted and produced the crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have tares in it? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The enemy is the one doing what is going on. This is not God. However, the enemy did not come when they were awake. The enemy came when they were sleeping. Are you asleep? Are you spiritually asleep or are you spiritually awake? A Christian who is spiritually awake keeps the devil away. If you are spiritually asleep, that's when the devil can come in and plunder and steal and sow things in your life, in your ministry, in your job, in your family, things that God did not originally plant there. So the question tonight is, or this morning is, are you asleep spiritually or are you awake? God has not sown seeds that are of tears in your, in your field. He sowed good seeds. He sowed good seed, but so many of us are sleeping. When you watch, when you are awake, you don't fail. When you watch and you are awake, you don't faint. When you watch and you are awake, you don't fall. So we need to stay awake. Isaiah 52, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. The holy city of God. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. He says, shake yourself from the dust. Arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Lose yourselves from the bones of your neck. There are so many things. That scripture is loaded. Number one, it says, awake, stop sleeping, and put on your strength. Who is going to put on that strength? You will put on your strength. There's a strength that has been apportioned to you that you need to put on. But you have to wake up first to have the strength to take that strength that God has given you and to put it on. 
And then he went on in verse 2, he says, shake yourself from the dust. Which means you've been in, have you had a book that lays on the shelf and for years and months you never used it? You go in there and you just do that and the whole place is just dust. That's what some of people are. It's just like they've never really exercised that gift, exercised what God is putting to them and a blanket of dust is over it. God says, shake it off. Shake it off. He says, arise and sit at the table. There's a table prepared for us that we need to sit down at and enjoy the benefits. There are benefits to being a Christian. There are, believe me, there are benefits. If you read in Isaiah 52, I believe, it says there are benefits that accrue to you by being a believer. Are you letting your benefits slip by without enjoying them? The enemy is making us to become less than what we really are. We, we are the children of the almighty God and we are behaving like the almighty law. That is not right. Now, the word of God, I told the ladies yesterday, the word of God has two sides to it. It's like a coin. It has two sides to it. Like you have your head and the tail. The word of God has on one side promise and on the other side responsibility. We have been so into the promise we know the promise, we quote the promise, it's underlined in our Bible, we sleep and we talk about the promise, but we forget that a coin is not just head and head. A coin is head and tail, right? On the other side of the coin, on the word of God, is responsibility. God has already given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, the responsibility is for us to walk the word, because when you walk the word, it will work for you. There's no doubt about that. Now, let's see what the heart of God is when it comes to recovering all. What we're talking about today is how to recover everything the enemy has stolen from you. Because like I said earlier, you look at Christians, you look at the church, and there's just so much lack. Divorce is just the same now as it is outside the church. It's the same thing. I was reading the other day, and that just, that's what really vexed my spirit. That 60% of men in the church are into pornography. That made me sick. 60%. So that means you line up 10 men in any church, 6 of them, more than half of them, watch pornography on a regular basis. And the altars of God have become polluted. What is going on? Marriages are being broken up because of things that people are allowing into their lives. God is still a God of judgment, people. We can shout all we want about promises. If you don't do your part, get ready. God is going to show up one day. And he says judgment will start in the house of God. It's time to wake up. It's time to shake yourself from the dust. It's time to be the real Christian that we say we are. Let the true Christian stand up for goodness sake. So what is the heart of God considering recovering? Does God want you to stay in the state that you're in right now? Does God want the best for you? In Joel chapter 2 verse 25, God says, So I will restore to you the years the Swami Locust has eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and all kinds of locusts, everything they've eaten. He says, you shall eat plenty and be satisfied. 
and the praise of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. So, he will restore to you years. Have you had something in your life that has been going on for years and years and years? God says, I will restore that to you. I will restore that to you. He can restore things that has been going on in your life for years. That's what the scripture says here. And it says you shall eat in plenty, verse 26, and be satisfied. God, God wants you to have plenty. It's not wrong to have plenty and to feel satisfied with how your life is going. To look at your life and say, you know, I'm fulfilled with the way my life is going. God wants that for you. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God concerning his children. So now let's look at the prescriptions. I'm in the medical field. I write a lot of prescriptions. So that's why I came up with this to make it prescription, so it's easier for me to, to understand. The number one prescription for recovery, and I don't just mean recovering part of what is stolen from you or for holding you know, onto part of what God is giving you. I mean total, everything returned back to you. The first thing is discovery. Discovery. Self-discovery. And also discovery of what is available to you. The gateway, listen to this, to getting back and to maintaining what God is giving you is when you discover who you are in Christ and maintain that identity. The greatest battle, the greatest battle between you and the enemy is in the area of your identity in Christ. Let me say that again. The greatest battle is in the area of who you are in Christ. If Satan comes to you, the first thing he's going to ask you is, who are you? Who are you? He did that to Christ. He went to him when he was in the wilderness. He says, I know you are the son of God. Or if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He knew Jesus was the son of God, but he was trying to see, does he know who he is? That's the same thing he will do to you. He will want to question your identity to know, find out if you know who you are. And believe me, if you don't know who you are, he's going to tell you what you are not. Did you get that? If you don't know who you are, Satan is ready to tell you all the things that you really are not. He's going to tell you you are a failure. You will never amount to anything. You will struggle and struggle all your life, and this is all you're ever going to be. This scene that you're in, you can never get out of it. No matter what you do, you're going to remain on the floor all your life. Your family will never be restored. You will live in this marriage and be miserable for the rest of your life. You will never be happy. He will tell you all the things you're not because you don't know who you are. So your identity is the doorway to recovering everything that the enemy is stolen from you and to maintaining and to knowing and to living in the, in, the, in the reality of who you are. That's it right there. The discovery of who you are. Who are you? When you get home today, look at yourself in the mirror and talk to the other person. Who are you? And sit down and think about it. What has Christ made you? The Bible says that we have been saved, and once we get saved, we become sons of God. You take on the identity of a child of God. That's who you are, a child of the Most High God. 
you look just like Jesus. And so you should talk just like Jesus. If Jesus did suffer defeat, you are not permitted to be defeated. If Jesus was not a failure, you are not permitted to be a failure. You are the son of the most high God. Amen? That's who you are. That's who I am. Do we know that? It's so easy to give way to what we see. Because of what we see, we live in this physical realm. It's so very easy to give way and to walk in our feelings instead of what we know by placement. You know, you're being a son of a child of God or a son of God is by placement. You're placed there. A prince is a prince whether he feels like it or not. A king is a king whether he feels like it or not. He can't wake up in the morning and say, I'm no longer a prince. I'm not a pauper. Well, just get out of your funk and you're still a prince. That's it. You are a prince. You are a king. Despite how you feel, you are the child of the Almighty. Then once you know who you are, it's now time to find out what is really available to me in this position that I'm in. What benefits accrue to me as a child of God? Now let's go and look at that. Go to Ephesians 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual what? Blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Hear this. God is not going to bless you. Why? He's already blessed you. So when you start praying, God, bless me. Don't pray that prayer over me. And after doing this study, I'm like, nobody pray for me. God bless you. No. Tell me God, God has already blessed you. Because you cannot be praying for what he's already told you he's given you. God says he has already blessed us with every, every, every single one of blessing that you might ever need. Every blessing in the heavenly places. In Luke 14, there was a parable Jesus told of a man, a very wealthy man who had a party. And he sent out invitations to the whole kingdom. And he sent his servants. He said, you know, go and tell all the people that we sent invitations to. Tell them to come. That everything has been prepared. And I said, Lord, when you get saved, everything that you will ever need has been prepared for you. Everything that you've ever need, you will ever need, that you have need of now, your salvation has already prepared it for you. God is already, think about it, a responsible father or mother, when you miss your period as a lady and you start showing, you start buying things already for the baby who is coming, right? By the time you're like eight months old, the room is ready. You have everything. You bought clothes. You've not seen that baby yet. But you're preparing for the baby. The same thing with God. You know, we can look at our lives and see what we do. And you know God does even more than that. Before you got saved, God has already prepared everything for you. It's all there for you. It's just for you. You see what he calls us? He calls us partakers. 
In other words, takers of parts. Takers of parts. Takers of shears. So you have your part in the kingdom. God has a pie, a big, big, huge, humongous piece of, you know, bowl of pie. And he's cut it in pieces. Everyone has their piece. Some people, their piece are so rotten now, it's, it's, they've never gone to pick it up. I have my piece. You have your piece. You have your share in it. We all do. And he calls us partakers. He says we are partakers of the heavenly. Let me read that for you. Let me read that for you. It's in Ephesians 3. 2 and 6. It says, I'm going to start from 2 just to kind of give it some flow here. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery by which you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as he has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, this is it. That the Gentiles, who? The Gentiles should be fellow heirs as the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. You don't have to beg. You don't have to beg. He calls you partakers. He has parts for you to come and take and enjoy. You don't have to beg God for your healing. You don't have to beg God for, to provide your need, to provide things for you. You don't have to beg God for a husband. You don't have to beg God for a child. You don't have to beg God. God says you are partakers of the divine nature. You have your part in him. You are a child of God. All he's asking you is just to come and take your part. Amen? So that's the first prescription. You must know who allowed the enemy to take it from you. You have to be willing to pay the price to get it. So if you want to enjoy first class treatment, it's up to you. A lot of us, a lot of Christians, I refuse to say me, and I refuse to say you. A lot of Christians are economy class Christians. Economy class, that's where they will be. And that's just where they want to be. They don't want to do anything out of the ordinary. Just stay, you know, I'm just comfortable right here. Don't, don't rock the boat. You rock that boat, break it open, and step out. Amen. Now, number three prescription, and I have two more to go and I'll be done. Number three prescription is very, very important. Please disallow pity. Don't allow anybody to feel pity for you. Don't let people feel sorry for you. Don't go about looking for somebody to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Any man, listen to this, any man who lives by pity remains in the pit all his life. Any man who lives by pity, you want people to pity you? You want people to feel sorry for you? You're going to remain in the pit and you're going to lead a sorry life. Don't allow anybody to feel pity or sorry for you. Don't allow that. We read in 1 Samuel 30, David and his men, they wept and wept and wept until the Bible says they had no more strength to weep. Imagine a man. Men hardly cry. But for a man to weep to the point that he had no more strength to weep, 
all the tear glands were dried up. He had no more energy and he just couldn't cry anymore. Did anything change? No. No, nothing changed. So you can cry all you want. Break the wall with your hands and crying all you want. Nothing is going to change until you start to pursue after what belongs to you. Until you get up and start to run after what God has made available to you. So don't let anybody pity you. Pity is the way to get distracted. Pity is the way to knock you out of your destiny. You are not a candidate for pity. Learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And how do you encourage yourself? You can find that in Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. It says you speak to one another, verse 19, you speak to one another in sounds, in hymns, and in spiritual songs. That's how you encourage yourself. In songs, in, her, uh, in the sounds, in hymns, and in spiritual songs. There is a time to speak to God. There is a time to speak to the devil. But most of the time, you need to be talking to yourself. When you wake up in the morning, you feel depressed, and you have a plan, and the enemy says, who do you think you are that you think you can do that? Go stand in the mirror and look at the man staring at you at the other side and tell him, you know what? I'm more than a conqueror. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and never beneath. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I will arise and say, I'm going to take what belongs to me. Learn to speak to yourself. When we get down, when the enemy is stolen from us, we just allow him to just beat us down, and he comes and we're laying on our back, on, our, on the back, just waiting for God to come do it for us. No, you arise and encourage yourself. Build yourself. Sing the songs that make your heart glad. Put that tape on and look to the right, look to the left, and dance like you're going to go crazy. You do that two or three times, the depression and anxiety is going to shake off of you. Amen? And last but not the least, number four prescription is living a sanctified life. Living a sanctified life. You need faith to be saved, but you need faith and sanctification to fulfill destiny. Did did you hear what I just said? You need only faith to be saved. But for you to fulfill the assignment God has spoken over your life, you need your faith and you need to be sanctified. And sanctification means set apart from evil and ungodliness and set apart unto God. It's a matter of being separated, set apart for one thing or the other. You cannot mention the name of God and be at home watching pornography. You cannot say you are a Christian and nobody likes to be around you because you're always angry. You can't say you are a believer and you curse and swear like a sailor. You can't say you mention the name of Christ and you cheat at your job. You see what I'm saying? Let's read Second Timothy 2, verse 19. I want to show you something there before I close. It says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows. (laughs) You might think everybody else doesn't know, but the Lord knows those who are his. 
And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are, not, are there not only, in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, and that part means continuous cleansing, if you cleanse yourself from dishonor, you will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, and prepared for every good use. God cannot claim ownership of you if you're not living for him. If you're not totally sold out, separated unto God, he doesn't know you. He cannot claim you. I won't read these scriptures, but if you can, when you get home, write the scripture down. Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 5. The high priest went before God, Joshua the high priest, and he had filthy rags on him. And God couldn't do anything. Satan was right there challenging because he was wearing filthy rags. God had given him the robes of righteousness, but he polluted himself, and he now had filthy rags on him. And God couldn't do anything with him. The same way, if you're carrying what belongs to the enemy, if you carry what belongs to Satan, he has a right to come visit you. If you carry what belongs to the enemy, to Satan, he has a right to come make demands for what is his, that you're carrying. And believe me, when he comes to take, take it back, he takes more than what you allowed in. That's just how he is. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Sin will devalue a Christian. A Christian that has been made in the image of God becomes devalued by sin. You know, we, uh, you see things in the ordinary and you say, wow. Okay, I'm almost time. You see things in the ordinary in your life and we, we, we need to start looking at that. In your home, if you have you know, silverware or cups, glasses in your cabinet and you want to take a drink, the first thing you do is you do that and you look at it, right? And if it has dirt and everything in it, you're going to put it down. You're not going to use that. You're going to go for the clean one. If you have enough time, you will clean that up. But if you're really thirsty and you really need a drink, you'll pick the clean one. The same thing with God. If God is looking for somebody to use and he comes looking and there's filth in you, he's not going to use you. He's going to pass you by and go to the next person who's kept themselves clean. That's just the way life is. That's the way God is. And talking about recovery, you cannot even begin to start recovery if you're living in sin. I mean, you, don't, you, don't, you have what belongs to the enemy. How do you go back to him and tell him, give me what belongs to, my, to me? He'll tell you, go away. You're already carrying what belongs to me. I have a right. He's very legalistic. He has a right. So today as I end, please, please. I hope you get vexed in your spirit. I hope God makes you, makes you to see things that will make us start praying for ourselves, praying for our church, praying for the church at large. This is not just, I'm not saying our church. When I say our church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. It grieves you when you hear a pastor who is 42 years old, started great, died in a hotel room from drug addiction, drug overdose. It grieves your spirit when you hear a man of God that has people listening to his word, that carries the word of God, is into homosexuality. And his wife is filing for divorce. 
It grieves your heart. You're like, what is going on? And I hope it does that to you. And I hope what we've learned tonight or to this morning will make you say, you know what? 2012 is going to be a year. Even starting today, you don't have to wait for 2012. Whatever the enemy has made me or has taken from me or is trying to make me, we take the blinders off and say, from now on, I will live for him. I will be sanctified. I will know who I am. I will pursue him with everything I have. Pay the price to be all that God wants me to be. Amen? Stand up with me this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you haven't even started yet. You don't even know who you are. And if you don't know him, every head bowed and every eyes closed, please. This is a very, very solemn time in the assembly. If you're here this morning and you say, I just, I want to know Jesus. I'm just tired. I'm just tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm just tired. I want to find out who I really am. I want to know God and I want him to help me. If that's you this morning, just let me see your hand raised up, please. If you're here this morning and you want to know Jesus, you've never asked him into your life. Let me see your hand this morning. Amen. That means everybody here is a believer and we know Jesus. Now the second invitation is this. If the enemy is stolen stolen from you and you know it, there are things you know he just came in and took from you and you've been struggling to get it back and you want us to pray over you this morning, please raise your hand. Amen. Lots of hands up here. And on the other hand, if you just say, Lord, from now on, I want to live for you. 2012 is going to be a year where I put everything aside and it's just going to be me and you, God, to see how far you will take me, Lord. If that's you this morning, you want to rededicate your life to the Lord and to choose a path of sanctification. Choose a path to recover everything the enemy is stolen from you. Let me see your hand this morning, too. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, Lord, you see the hands lifted. You can put your hands down. You see the hands lifted before you this morning, oh God. Father, as a church, we all stand before you, God. We all stand before your throne this morning, God. First of all, we thank you for making us your children. Father, we thank you because if we've lost anything, it's not because of what you've done. Is the enemy that did it. Lord, today we line up with your word. We line up with you. Lord, we will take what we've learned today, Father, to take back what the enemy is stolen from us and to maintain what you give to us, God. Father, help us to truly know who we are in you. Help us to discover what belongs to us in you. Help us, oh God, to be willing to pay the price. Whatever it takes, Lord, as long as it's you, Lord, calling us, we'll do it. Help us to pursue you, God. Pursue after you with all our might. Father, give us the strength to live for you. Give us the strength to sanctify and to wash our vessels and make it clean for the master's use, God. Lord, we thank you. We give you all the praise. Father, I bless your people this morning. 
Father, as they go about their businesses, their work this week, Father, may they be blessed. As you have already said in your word, that you bless them with all blessings in heavenly places. May all those blessings be appropriated into their lives in the name of Jesus. May they stay above always, Lord, never beneath. For they are the head, they will never be tail. Be with them, O oh God. And thank you for a wonderful day in you, Father. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, Amen. You're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. Amen and amen. You're dismissed.